Let's take a step back in time now. It was 100 years ago last week in 1922 that Benito Mussolini, leader of the National Fascist Party in Italy, marched through Rome at the head of several thousand black shirts the day before uh, the day before Italy's King Vittorio Emmanuel, Emanuele III had appointed him as Italian prime minister. Now, Mussolini would rule Italy for the next 23 years, and you'll probably be familiar with what that history looked like. I mean, it was a dictatorship. It crushed dissent. It crushed workers' rights in the name of communism. It allied Hitler's Germany for the Second World War, all of it ending in many deaths, a brutal war, and Mussolini's execution in 1945. Perhaps lesser known than the basic history, the broad strokes, is the very close relationship that Mussolini had with his firstborn, a daughter named Edda. She would go on to marry the man who would become Mussolini's foreign minister, the youngest foreign minister in Europe at the time. And she would be perhaps her father's most trusted advisor, despite being the very opposite of what a woman was meant to be like under fascism in that era, uh, you know, stay at home and so forth. She would become one of the most infamous and influential women in the Europe of the 1930s. And now there's a book looking back at that history, and it couldn't come at a more interesting time because, of course, Italy has just elected a far-right government, the first since first far-right government since those days, although that government wasn't elected, obviously. And joining me now to talk about it is award-winning author and historian Carolyn Moorhead. Uh, she's also a human rights journalist, and she is the writer, the author of the newly released Edda Mussolini, The Most Dangerous Woman. Thank you. The inspiration for this book, because I know now looking back, um, I was familiar with the name, but you look back, of course, she was famous, wasn't she, in in, for, in that era. Uh, what was the inspiration to want to go back and revisit her story? Yes, she was famous, but you might almost say also infamous. Right. Um, I wanted to talk about the fascist years, and I wanted uh, someone to take me through to, to be the backbone, if you like, the narrative thread for the years of fascism. I wanted to write about what it was like to live in fascist Italy. And her story, which is so incredibly dramatic, perfectly fitted the years I wanted to write about. It does in many ways, because she was um, reading through the book. She, she is an, a fascinating person. I wouldn't say, as you mentioned, not necessarily a good person, but certainly a fascinating person. Yes, she was. I mean, she was such a combination of things. She was quite enigmatic. She was very little educated, but on the other hand, she was very shrewd, she was very clever, she was very quick, but uneducated. Uh, she was shy, and yet rather entitled. She was not at all social, but she liked uh, the grand life. She wasn't at all interested, really, in the arts, almost not at all. She read magazines, she read very few books, but she was alert, full of curiosity. She wanted to know how the world worked. Uh, for listeners who may not know, she was clearly her father's favorite, and in that way, and so much like him in many ways, as you point out many times, um, but in that way, for, for a woman in the 30s, specifically in fascist Italy, um, she was quite an enigma, wasn't she? Just the fact that she was so outspoken, she was so self-indulgent, um, but also much, much lionized to some extent as well. Yes, she was certainly her father's favorite. She was his eldest child, and from a very young age, she took her everywhere with him. So she witnessed a lot of the early sort of fascist violence, if you like. Um, she was all things that fascist women were not meant to be. And Mussolini didn't want fascist women to be anything other than mothers 
small future warriors. He wanted them as, he wanted them as home, he wanted them looking after their husband, and he wanted them cooking. He did not want them to do all the things that Edda did. Uh, he didn't like women wearing trousers, she wore trousers. He didn't like them smoking, she smoked like a chimney. She didn't want them to drink, uh, she drank heavily. Um, she and her husband, Chano, who was the foreign minister, somehow thought that they were above fascist rule, which in a way makes her so fascinating because she became the bridge between, if you like, the vulgar, corrupt, energetic fascists who sort of took over Rome under Mussolini and the stuffy, provincial, aristocratic Romans who lived in their big palazzi. And because she was elegant and she was beautifully dressed and because Chano was sleek and smooth and very presentable and they spoke several foreign languages, they managed to make the bridge between these two very different societies. Reading through it, I, I, and this is probably a bit of a stretch of a comparison, but I couldn't help but thinking of Ivanka Trump at times, even though they were very different characters. But I couldn't help but thinking of the parallels between those those relationships. Well, that's right. I mean, the eldest daughters or the preferred daughters of dictators um, often do have positions. I mean, I suspect Ivanka had a more formal position than Edda ever had. But it was noticeable that when Edda was 25, Mussolini sent her to England to sort of take the temperature of how the British would behave if he invaded Abyssinia. And though, again, she had no formal position, she met MacDonald, she met the king, she, you know, she kept her ear to the ground, she went back to Rome and she said to Mussolini, you can go ahead, the British were doing it. And of course, she was quite right. So the following year, when she was 26, he sent her to Germany to take the temperature of what the Germans was about the Italians. So was that power? Um, no. But was it influence? Yes, certainly. She had influence. She was in many ways one of the people he, he trusted the most, right? After the death of his brother, Arnaldo, who died relatively young, and who was Mussolini's real only confidant and close friend, um, yes, she became the person he talked to. And in a way, that's what gave her in her importance under fascism was that she was the one person Mussolini talked to, but she was also one of the only people that Chano, the foreign minister, talked to. So she was absolutely at the heart of it all. Our guest this half hour is Carolyn Moorhead. She is a human rights journalist and author, including of the newly released Edda Mussolini, the most dangerous woman in Europe. Edda Mussolini was, of course, uh, Mussolini's daughter. Uh, and a very powerful woman in her own right uh, through the height of fascism in Italy. Uh, but Carolyn, as you point out, there's, there's a real tragic side of this too, because so much of it, both her, her husband is, is betrays Mussolini and is executed. And then her father, of course, is executed in 1945. She loses just about everything in the space of about 12 months. That's absolutely right. It all happened again. It all came very quickly. I mean, everything was more or less fine in the, in the Mussolini family until Chano voted with the plotters to get Mussolini out of the summer of 1943. Now, it was an unbelievably stupid thing to do because unlike the other plotters, when it was absolutely clear that Italy was turning very, very strongly against the fascists, instead of fleeing Italy, he went over to Germany with Edda and 
found Mussolini and thought everything was going to be all right. But Hitler exacted from Mussolini that the, the plotters, those they had been able to find, would be executed. That the tragedy came in that it hadn't been a very happy marriage between Edda and Charles. But something happened when he became, when he was in danger. She, I mean, it would be sort of fanciful and sentimental perhaps to say she fell in love with him for the first time, but she did every single thing she could possibly do to save his life. And there is a tremendous dramatic story about how she tried to barter his diaries for his life with the Germans and thought she had succeeded and fled to Switzerland, confident that he would be spared, only to hear when she got there that he'd been executed. And it was indeed tragic. She was then 33 with three young children, and she never spoke to her father again. And the following year, of course, her father was executed. So that in that period of time, she'd lost her father, uh, her husband, her home, really, because everything in Italy was then closed off to her for a while. Um, she had very little money. Um, and she was only 35. She did um, face some justice. Uh, but how did she live out her days, this daughter of an era? Well, I made the decision that I would stop the book, really, at the end of the 1940s, which is when right. she's more or less rehabilitated and goes back to Rome. Um, the period in between the end of the war and the late 40s, she was a prisoner on the island of Lipari of, of Sicily, which had previously been home or jail, if you like, to the anti-fascist. And it's a rather touching interview because there she has a, a really very happy love affair, amazingly, with a local communist. But it's one of the sort of more tender moments of her life. It's probably... It's probably her one really easy love affair. At the end of Rome, she, at the end of uh, 1940, she finds herself back in Rome with her three children, never a very good money mother. She never marries again. She lives for another 30 or 40 years. Uh, she drinks too much, smokes too much, travels a bit, uh, shunned by quite a lot of people, um, celebrated by all the neo-fascists. Um, it wasn't a very happy into her life. I mean, her life is a tragedy. You do manage at the same time to to portray her both as someone as as a as a as both a as a tragic hero as well. A hero is probably the wrong word. Both in in a way that's where you feel sympathy for, her despite what's happened, because she did have a troubled uh, life in many ways. How do you think it resonates today when you pick up a book, a his, piece of historical fiction, and look back at it? Where do you see the parallels today? We've had the election of a far right government in Italy recently. The you know we know that Italy, unlike say Germany, um, the Mussolini era is not shunned entirely. It's still there to be you know for pilgrimages and so on, if one so chooses. How do you think this the story of Edda Mussolini still impacts or still resonates today? Well, certainly she remained um, a sort of um, heroine, if you like, for the, for the, for the far right during the, the rest of the century. It's very worthwhile remembering the fact that Predapia, which is where she was born and where Mussolini was born and was really the top of Mussolini until each time, is a sort of shrine to the Mussolini family. The, their own house there is sort of something between a museum and a shrine and 
every year on the 28th of October, which is the anniversary of March on Rome. There are huge celebrations and people walk up and down raising their arm in the fascist salute. I mean, as you rightly say, all that is still very much present in Italy. And because there was so much fascist architecture, because Mussolini made such a thing about building, um, far too much ever to get rid of. Uh, they got rid of the statues and the other posters and so on, but the buildings were also there. So there is a, if you like, there's a visual presence about fascism. However, I think what one has to say is that though Meloni, Georgia Meloni, who came in as Prime Minister, indeed she comes from the tradition of the neo-fascist, it would, I think, be wrong to say that she herself was fascist. And indeed, she goes to great lengths to deny her fascist beliefs, if you like, her fascist roots. I mean, she's certainly very populist, she's certainly very nationalist, She's certainly very right-wing, and she's certainly very anti-immigrant. But, you know, she does not espouse violence. Um, it's too soon to tell where she, where she will take it from. Um, but it's that, for her, I think it's very unfortunate that she just happens to come to power on the anniversary, on the 100th anniversary of March on Rome, because inevitably people are drawing comparisons before she's had a chance really to define herself. Well, Carolyn Moorhead, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much indeed.